Good evening. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights, our weekly uh, excursion into the world of achievement, where we bring you uh, achievers in all fields of human endeavors. Uh, we're coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. Uh, another blessed day for me here in the hood. Uh, tonight, I'm very excited about our guest tonight, a young man. I've basically known him all my life. I know his parents and father, and uh, I've just seen him grow and uh, work hard, study, achieve things. He's uh, an architect. Uh, he's the owner of Mobilized Design and Architecture. Uh, if you've seen a lot of new buildings and things down uh, around town, especially in North Minneapolis, uh, his architectural print is probably upon them. And so we're going to be very excited to talk to him tonight and let him know what, let him uh, let you know what he's doing, how he got to achieve what he's uh, achieved. Uh, the great thing about this young man is that, uh, like I say, I know his father. His father grew up across the river from me. I'm from Natchez, Mississippi. His father over, over the river from Louisiana. Uh, we, I guess, you know, I'm kind of proud of it being like a country boy. So we're basically country boys who uh, grew up with a lot of great values. I think in both cases, uh, our children has turned out very well. We've gotten grandchildren. And a lot of times people don't understand what I'm talking about, but we didn't have it easy. Uh, we grew up during the Jim Crow era and most of us succeeded. Uh, and I had a nice little conversation today in the barbershop. The barbershop, is, uh, we've been having some great conversation lately. Uh, old school guys remember that the barbershop was and probably still is an institution. Uh, when I was growing up, it was where the uh, men gathered. It was like a, uh, the male social club where they brought us little boys in there and they taught us a lot of things that, I don't know, we probably should know some of them, but uh, they shared a lot of things with us. And then you slowly saw a change where all of a sudden uh, it became the moms of bringing uh, the young boys into the barbershop. And people, and if you talk to my wife, she can tell you, I look at different things than other people look at. Uh, things like who's bringing our young boys to the barbershop. And people don't like it, but I hear a lot of whining and complaining about the uh, presidents and who's in the White House, politicians, what happened to us in the past. But I tell everyone, more important to that, I think, is you look at who's bringing our young boys to the barbershop. And whenever you, we need to get back to the point where the barbershop is where the dads are bringing these young boys in the, in the, into the barbershop. So that's a whole other issue. Uh, if you want to support this uh, podcast, uh, go out to LaceyJohnson.com. You can donate. You can subscribe. Uh, you can send me uh, communication. Uh, pro or con doesn't matter to me. You can complain and call me names. That's fine, too. Or you can give me a little boost. Uh, that would be great. Anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, like I say, I'm excited about tonight's guest, and I'm welcome to uh, get him on here as soon as possible. Hey, welcome, uh, Jamil, Mr. Jamil Ford, uh, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing, young man? Thanks a lot. I'm doing great, Mr. Johnson. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and like I told our audience, we've been knowing each other for a while. I'm seeing this man grow uh, both personally and professionally. Why don't you, and I, I mentioned that uh, your father and I, we're from similar background. He's visited my town uh, quite a few times. I know he's opening up 
a business venture down there. I think it's a bar and the grill or something down there. And he's promised to invite me to the open house down there. And I promised him I'm going to show up and attend that. So that'll be the first time I'll be uh, in your father's hometown. And we just, like I say, we all country boys from down south. Uh, but tell me about your family life growing up. I think you grew up here in uh, Minneapolis. What was that like? And some of the things that influenced your uh, childhood, because I know you as a very disciplined uh goal oriented focused young man so explain to our audience uh, jamil how uh your uh, upbringing contributed to all these great characters in you young man well thanks a lot mr johnson you know um i really appreciate you mentioning uh going back home uh going back home to bachelor louisiana or even natchez mississippi I think uh, one of the big understandings, at least from my life and my my shared experiences of uh, taking my summer vacation to the south, uh, driving down uh, with no AC, windows down, and uh, and listening to an AM and FM radio station. In some cases, we had the luxuries of a cassette player. Uh, in some cases, it was an A-track player. But um, one of the things that I will definitely appreciate with both my mother and my father was having the diversity of both backgrounds and, um, and just my experience of, of going to the South as well as being uh, in the state of Minnesota and having both spectrums uh, of, of life's experiences, but also seeing different cultures. Um, it was always a little, little weird growing up in the South. Uh, I have relatives that carpool with uh, individuals that had Confederate bumper stickers, but they they seemed to get along together and uh, found their ways and understood their differences. But it, it, but in, in, in a lot of cases, there was respect. Uh, for myself growing up here in Minneapolis, I started off in a private school, which wasn't the best experience. However, it, it allowed me to transition into the elementary school, uh, public schools here in, in Minneapolis. Um, yeah, I had a little bit of a rough start in my private, private school experience. Um, at the time, uh, I had a lot of my classmates, which were uh, white at the time. Uh, there was a few individuals in the classroom that uh, basically told a few lies uh, to sort of uh, see the repercussions of me to the principal's office. And every time you would go to the principal's office, you would get a, get a spanking. And the more you went, the more that spanking was. And, and at the time when I was growing up, most parents respected the other adults. And they said, take care of that matter then versus waiting to deal with it later. Um, ultimately, I, I got to a point where I I began to speak up and shared my, my, my life's experience in kindergarten. In fact, I don't tell this to many people, but I was held back for kindergarten. And um, when I'm having conversations with young men today, I oftentimes share that experience. Uh, and, and going into my fifth grade year, I had some troubling moments. And it was the first day of my sixth grade year 
where I started having a conversation before class started. And the teacher said, Jamil, today could be the first day that you have changed your life moving, moving forward. Mm -hmm. As she was saying that, I had some, some other students coming into the classroom that weren't the typical students. In fact, they had uh, elders that were coming into the classroom with them. Uh, they were special needs as well as uh, autistic uh, students. And it was that moment where the light bulb went off and said, Jamil, whoa, you are in a room with additional uh, support and care, specifically for individuals that um, may need some additional support. If I was growing up today, I would have been labeled ADHD. I would have been held back and many other things. Fast forwarding into uh, high school, I was accepted into an architecture and engineering program uh, at North High, where I participated in two years of architectural drafting and two years in uh, engineering design, as well as uh, constructing a solar boat. Um, the panels were fairly big and very large, but through that process, I met a, a school counselor that had a connection back to a large architectural firm. And at the time, we also had a black career fair where a black architect came in and shared his life's experiences as an, a black architect. Now, at the time, I didn't know or have that exposure. But fast forwarding, I got into uh, an architecture youth program that allowed me to uh, start exploring architecture. Uh, that led me into an internship at one of the largest architectural firm, firms in town, HGA Architects, which also allowed me to uh, excel and go through uh, school at the University of Minnesota. And um, during that time, I was also uh, working in the shops department, which also allowed me to uh, get a better understanding of the various materials and different project types that were coming through that office. Um, that also uh, broadened my spectrum on some various projects that I wanted to explore going outside of uh, my experience uh, working uh, at that firm, as well as uh, going through school at the University of Minnesota. Well, thanks for that background. One little thing you said is going to divert me here about your experience down south. And you mentioned uh, your relatives riding in the pickup truck with guys with the Confederate flag. But you talked about a certain amount of respect. And this is where I'm going with this. Uh, I find a lot of northerners, especially white liberals, they wouldn't dare go down south. They think it's a bunch of rednecks. They think, you know, we just, it's so bad for us poor black folks down there. And it, it, nothing could be further from the truth generally. And what I told them is that we work around each other. We respect each other. And, you know, and, and I'm not going to uh, uh, spend too much time on this, but I just, I tell them two things. One is I never heard the N word come out of a white person's mouth until I got to Minneapolis. They find that hard to believe. And I know my little town, you mentioned Natchez, Mississippi, is kind of like a special pocket. I have never in my whole life, in my 60-some years, uh, seen a white person disrespect a black person down south. And people find that hard to believe, but that's the way it is. Some of our best friends are white. Some of them probably have Confederate flags, but uh, uh, you can count on them. 
to be in your corner and, and you could be friends. And so there's a certain amount of respect. And I normally try to tell these northerners who've been sitting around listening at the, at the media, you know, New York and California, the people who think that they are the smartest, richest, greatest people on this earth, uh, the image that they project of uh, people in the middle of the country and down south is just totally wrong. And I'm getting sick and tired of this, as a matter of fact. And one last thing, when I got to the University of Minnesota, I love big city, East Coast, West Coast guy thinking they knew it all and proving them wrong that they really didn't know anything. So that's a little personal uh, side there. So let's talk about, uh, you started out working with a architectural firm here. Somewhere down the road, uh, you decided that, hey, uh, I can do this. I can do it on my own. I can make a, a business of it. And you uh, transition from just being an architect, be it a great architect, into the whole world of business and entrepreneurship. What triggered that? What motivated you to do that? You know, the motivation came out of the height of 2010 and the depression at that time, which was um, very, very uh, tight in regards to corporate budgets. Um, one of the first things to get cut out of a corporate budget is uh, space planning, programming, uh, looking at future um, project opportunities, et cetera, specifically around construction as well as planning. And so at the time I was, I was going after a number of different projects. And even prior to that, I was able to survive close to three major layoffs in the office. And finally, after losing three different fire, fire station projects that we were going after, we eventually found out that the other firms that were competing against us were lowballing their numbers and, and basically building up their overall portfolio of work so that they can sell their company. Well, during that journey, uh, I was laid off. And uh, it was at that moment where I, I walked into the HR department, uh, smiling, thanking people for the opportunity. While on the other hand, I had another colleague that was under the assumption that he was going to retire as well as just uh, in the mindset that, you know, how dare you? I, I, I can't even believe what's happening. And so I knew walking out of that HR room that I had to make some decisions. And I knew at that particular time, I said, I can either get a new job, I could go, or I can also try to uh, see if there's a possibility of getting my own work and starting my own company. And so by kicking my door open, one of the things that I was able to do was start sharing with others that, hey, not only am I available to do meaningful work, but I have the flexibility of having generated a business where I could do contract work or potentially lean on uh, independent projects. And so I started off doing contract work. One of my first projects that I worked on was the Minneapolis Public Schools uh, district headquarters mm -hmm. in, in collaboration with a larger firm. And uh, it was through that project where I started thinking to myself, 
Jamil, who are you promoting? Are you promoting the company or Jamil, the worker bee? And, and that's when the light bulb said, you know, regardless of who gets the work done, I need to start promoting my company. And it was at that point where Devin George, uh, a childhood friend, came back to Minneapolis and wanted to take a look at his father's property that was uh, owned a few blocks away where, where we grew up. And he said, I want to go above and beyond the traditional athlete where they, uh, they, they do the traditional toy and, and, and turkey drives, but how can I have more impact in this community? And one of the things that stood out was there was a food desert and a need for housing, good quality housing. And so those were the two things that we put and set our mind on around providing something that's not only long lasting, but beneficial for the community and allows people to begin to uh, transition where they are and begin to look at their futures as uh, contributing uh, citizens in the community. Well, we're going to pursue that a little bit more and you're working with Deb and George and we'll give a little background on him. But I would be remiss if I didn't first uh, take out some time to talk about uh, Jamil Ford, the family man. I know you're a married man. I know you got a family. Uh, like I said, I know your father, uh, the deacon. I know your father-in-law, uh, Reverend McAfee, the pastor. Uh, so why don't you share with the audience uh, your uh, role as a family man and how enjoyable that is. And then we'll talk a little bit about your spiritual foundation, or if you can talk about both of them now and wrap them all up in one before we uh, talk a little bit more about the business. So I'm very proud of you in that area because what I tell all these brothers out here, we got to start uh, marrying and, and respecting and loving the mothers of our children. I mean, you can talk all that other stuff you want and who's at fault in history and, and whether it's fair, supremacy and critical race theory. To me, it's not that complicated. To me, we're just trying to look elsewhere when we should be first looking in the mirror. But tell me about your experience there with the family and everything. Sure. Well, absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll try to wrap all of those things together. Okay. Uh, starting out specifically uh, at the age of 12, I... Uh, started finding myself transitioning into my own space of exploration. I think one of the problems that we have today with this fast food society and readily available things like uh, gaming machines, uh, the isolation of being outside in the public spaces, and just the ability to imagine and explore. Um, as I was uh, transitioning between 12 and 13, it was that point where I said, you know, I want to go to my own church. I want to explore my own environment that allows me to feel comfortable in, in, in my uh, Christian experience. And so I started going to an urban church that was not a, a Baptist church or, or one like my mother's. But I, I, I sought out a non-denominational church uh, directly on West Broadway which was small in, in, in scale, 
but it gave me the opportunity to have my own voice as a teenager. Uh, in fact, I, I, I gave my, my first sermon or speech uh, in that environment. And I recall uh, participating in programs like uh, the Hospitality House and other programs that began to under, uh, help me understand not only who I was, but uh, who I am as an individual and why I exist in this world today. Uh, through that process, um, you know, as I was transitioning between eighth grade and my ninth grade years, I was coming straight out of eighth grade into ninth grade playing varsity football. I uh, hung out with uh, upperclassmen, uh, which allowed me to start seeing some things much quicker than the average freshman. Uh, in fact, my father was out of town for the weekend and I got into mischief. Uh, lo and behold, the girlfriend at, my t at that time, I found out I had a baby on the way at the age of 16. I had a child at the age of 17. Um, that was one of the scariest moments of my life. You know, how do you tell your father, hey, dad, I got a child on the way. And at that particular time, leading up to not only a, a family conversation, uh, but I knew I had to be ready when my dad asked me, well, what are you going to do, son? And you know, one of the big things that resonated with me at that particular time was he said, Jamil, you are you are a young man yourself. You're a young teenage man yourself. How in the world are you going to be able to uh, raise another child? And I know the response at that particular time was. If there is a God that exists, he will see not only me through this moment, but it will be uh, a negative in one's eye, but it will allow me to persevere and take on the responsibilities that I know I need to do. And so at that point in time, I was not only playing football, but I was running track and I was also working late hours in banquet setup at the local hotel in uh, St. Louis Park, 30 hours a week while going and attending school. And so out of all of that came my first child, which is now 26 years old. She has not only served uh, a, fir a, fir a first term of being in the National Guard, but she has uh, graduated uh, in her undergrad graduate studies, and she's finishing her thesis right now uh, at Minnesota State uh, University and College uh, down in Mankato. And so through that whole process, as a young team trying to transition through Minneapolis North High, uh, dealing with all of the urban issues and, and struggles, I made sure that I was going to not only be an active father in my daughter's life, but I also wanted to make sure that I took as something as an easy opportunity where, where anybody could have ran but I stuck to my guns and, and reassured that I would be there not only as a father, but moving forward, I would make sure that whoever I brought into my life uh, for a long-term relationship, that they not only have the respect and the ability to support my daughter, 
but also be the woman, the queen of my life. And, um, you know, I met my, my wife at New Salem Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, in fact, her father was introducing her to the church. And it was at that moment where I said, wow, she, she might be the one. And uh, I remember dating her and, and a lot of members of the community said, hey, you know, be sure to keep an eye on the, the pastor's daughter. You know, uh, don't 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 do her wrong. And uh, jokingly enough, I said, you know, well, she she has the all rights of potentially uh, putting me in the past. And so uh, I remember courting her and making sure that we were dating in the right sense that some of the things of my past, I didn't want to uh, get in the way of understanding her as an individual, but also uh, getting closer to her in regards to a friendship. Uh, one of my first road trips was traveling to Michigan to meet her family. And from there, uh, we had purchased a new car at the time. And uh, I drove from Michigan all the way through Mississippi, uh, down to Louisiana. And uh, we went from uh, New Orleans to Baton Rouge, to the countryside, all the way to Galveston, Texas, back to Baton Rouge, through Oklahoma and back home. Um, I knew at that particular time that anybody that could be in a, in a, in a road trip or a car traveling that long with no arguments, that she was more than likely the one that I needed in my corner. Uh, I fast forward to today, uh, we've had the luxury of uh, bringing up my 14 year old daughter. Uh, I uh, had a son, uh, which is 10 years old. And uh, over the last, I would say close to six, almost eight years now, I've been raising my 12 year old nephew. Um, I saw his father as well as his mother transitioning to, through some rough moments in their lives. And one of the things that I knew for sure as a man within my community, as well as a man within my family, I could not sit on the sideline and watch my nephew not necessarily know whether he would be going to school for my home or the next home and so on. And so we took him in. And now we have full uh, legal custody and I've been supporting him as my own son. Uh, in fact, the two boys, they share a room and, and have a bunk bed and uh, they, they mean everything to me, both the two boys as well as the two girls. And so um, they are, are highly gifted, not only in school, but they uh, are all involved in uh, Catholic ministries. Uh, both at Ascension uh, School in Minneapolis, as well as Benil uh, St. Margaret uh, for my high school student, uh, my daughter. Boy, uh, there's so much I could unpack there. Oh, oh, but in, uh, in, seven, in 17 years of wonderful marital bliss, in fact, I'll say I've grown to love her much more through the through the process of being still gives me goosebumps today. Um, so I am pleased, I am honored to uh, have not only my wife, but my children in my life. 
those uh, great stories, you mentioned quite a few things there, uh, your work ethics and your values, even when we were a young man, how you reacted to uh, what you uh, mentioned as perhaps a mistake or regret. It wasn't really a mistake. It turned out to be a blessing. Uh, but uh, And your uh, dedication to your family. Uh, and once again, you know, I'm a simple, I'm simple minded, you know, all this fancy stuff and theories and stuff they talk about, I don't really get, but I do know this, uh, that you can judge the health of any community by the way they treat their women, the way they treat your children and the way they treat the elderly. And until we start and you remember, you're probably old enough. At least your dad told you some stories when uh, you courted women and, and and you gave them the respect that they deserve and you appreciated uh, them for what they bring to you. And you appreciated for them for uh, sanding off those rough edges that you may have. And uh, you've been uh, married for 17 years. I've been married for 34 years. And I try to tell everyone, and I, I talk to a lot of these brothers out here, uh, uh, until we start marrying uh, our women and taking care of our children, we can point everywhere else and they, we can listen to these crazy people who think this police is who's in the White House is all this craziness. It's on us to change the way we were and go back to our values of faith and family. So that's, that's a good story. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you've been working, and I know about uh, Devin George. In fact, you know, Minneapolis used to be a small community among white folks, so I know his parents, too. They All of them used to hang around with my older sisters and brothers and things like that, but you've been working with him on a couple of major projects. I've seen the results of a couple of them down on uh, Golden Valley Road and Penn. Uh, why don't you tell me about uh, what you and Devin has been up to uh, as far as development-wise? I've seen some of the results and what you have planned in the future. And then we'll talk about some of your other projects. Uh, once you tell us about what you and Devin have been uh, uh, working on and what you've achieved in, in, in the area of uh, uh, development. Yes, uh, my company, uh, Mobilized Design and Architecture, uh, we believe in bringing beauty, dignity, and value through architecture and design. When Devin and I began to align ourselves with the, the common goal around bringing and adding value back to our community, it not only uh, spoke to who we were, but how can we begin to inspire and put that same energy into other residents, other business owners, and create opportunities not through just those developments, but, but even to allow our young youth to see professional black men in the community, even athletes referring back to the rest of their life. So the 11 years that he spent in the NBA, he's got a whole life ahead of him. And, and the biggest thing that we try to do specifically with the nonprofit uh, Building Blocks Minnesota, as well as his for-profit uh, George Group North, is we understood that there was a need for physical and mental conditioning. And so as we were developing the, the mixed-use developments around commercial and housing, uh, we wanted to make sure that those families that were residing in those apartment buildings, they also had a direct understanding that it takes a village. And to your point, as, as we and as I grew up, I always had at least somebody 
either saying something in my ear or giving me the inspiration or the hope of doing much better, of doing things that was above uh, par or, or the average uh, things that one, one might be expected to do. And so through all of that, we have consistently have uh, tried to make sure that we connect with the residents that live in the developments that we're building. And, and I think the, the difference that separates us from any other developer or architects is we understand that when it's all said and done, we're not just here to do projects to leave the community, but we're here to do projects in the community that's not only meaningful, but hopefully allows our community to move in a direction where it's from within. So when we do the work, we understand that there's a, a much broader impact that's taking place. Hopefully, even if it's just the opportunity of stopping and asking uh, a young scholar, hey, how are you doing in school? In fact, the more and more I, I've got involved and, and do business on West Broadway, young men oftentimes walk up to me or I've even heard whispering whispering of our youth saying, hey, that's Jamil, you know, he, he actually owns an architectural firm. And, and to hear that, it, it means so much because we could have been the, the Mookies of the neighborhood that are also contributing into negative things. And to give people the balance, like a Carl Eller back in the great days of the, the Purple People Eaters, one of the great things that I like to see in the parallel between a Devin George is the access. I think it's very important that in our communities, yes, diversity does matter, but also from an income perspective. Uh, gentrification is not always necessarily bad when there's diversity at the table from professionals that look, look just like you and I. We need the diversity of, of various income levels. We need that balance. Why? Because when we don't have that balance, if there's a, if there's a, a focus directly on the negative things coming out of the community, we miss the mark of how we can have that necessary impact moving forward for this community. I love it. And uh, I know uh, for uh, those in our audience who don't remember this detail, uh, Devin uh, went to Augsburg. He was drafted in the first round by the Lakers. And how many NBA championships did he win on the Lakers? Uh, three. So he's walking around with three rings. Less, uh, I know you have, you've done a lot of other projects here uh, yes. locally and yes. perhaps other places. Just give uh, give us a few of the projects that you've done here. Uh, and I know a few of them just for our audience to let yeah. them know as they drive around town and, and they're seeing these buildings, they can think of uh, this young man that we're having as our guest here tonight. So my firm, we partnered with Ryan Construction in the Vikings uh, overhaul of the People Stadium. Uh, we did all of the skyways, roughly about five uh, uh, skyways leading the Hoff parking ramp all the way through the Wells Fargo uh, towers leading into the Viking Stadium. Um, some other notable projects that we've worked on is the Hennepin County uh, uh, 
North uh, Community Hub right on Plymouth Avenue. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we've uh, had a great impact in regards to Golden Valley Road and Penn, Estes Funeral Chapel, many projects on West Broadway. More recently, we have uh, just started uh, completing drawings for 83-unit mixed-use development in Brooklyn Park. Uh, we are also working on uh, Upper Harbor Terminal, and that's uh, close to 400 units of affordable housing and market rate uh, housing on the river in North Minneapolis. Uh, and then more recently, we are finishing the construction of close to 50 units of senior housing uh, for Sabathany Senior, uh, for Sabathany Community Center in South Minneapolis. And so uh, we have a number of projects in the pipeline uh, that I'm very proud of. And um, I can continue on and on, but I want to be mindful of your time. Okay. And I do know uh, that there's another project that's near and dear to your heart uh, that you're working on right now. Uh, before I mention that project, uh, I want you to know that uh, the two writers, poets, or whoever that had the biggest impact on me and their first work that I read, I was just like, it was a wild factor there. The first one was uh, John Milton and the old English poet and writer, and I consider his epic poem, Paradise Lost, the greatest piece of literature I've ever read. Uh, but the secondly uh, was the uh, black author from Harlem, spent some time in Paris, James Baldwin. And when I read The Fire Next Time, it just, man, what a great book that is. In fact, I have to admit, I read a little bit of it before I came here because you know we had talked the other day about your Baldwin Square and so it's piqued my appetite again, and I'm going to go back and reread that book uh, tonight. It just reminded me what a great writer Baldwin was, how concise and creative and incisive he was. I mean, the man was just, who, Ball, James Baldwin is just in a whole different category by Yeah, he's in a whole category by himself. And I, I encourage those out in the audience to go out and read Fire Next Time. It, it, it's a timeless book, even though it's written uh, during the height of the civil rights movement, but the way Baldwin come at it in those issues, and it's 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 almost surgical, and it's not uh, it's not negative per se. It's almost scientific. So I just go out and read Fire next time, and I hope you're just impressed by it as I am and his command of the English language and phraseology and things like that. But anyway. I don't want to get too caught up in my literature and my poetry and all that stuff here on this podcast, but uh, I know you have a project yes. that you're working on called Baldwin Square. Why don't you fill us in on that? And I know it took its name after the poet, after the writer James Baldwin. So tell us uh, what's going on with Baldwin Square. Baldwin Square is a, a great project. Uh, it, it derived out of an RFP that was issued by the city of Minneapolis. Uh, they had a community conversation and created an opportunity for residents to begin to envision what the uh, two parcels could look like. Uh, on one parcel uh, to the north, it's a two-story building, residential units on the second floor with commercial down below. And then directly adjacent to that is a one-story building. On an old streetcar uh, corridor 
Fremont and 42nd Avenue. Um, and out of the uh, response from the community, there were there was a few things that resonated. There was a request and a push for a restaurant. Some people wanted a bookstore cafe. Some people wanted to see a black box theater, an art gallery, and many other things. But those were some of the things that sort of resonated. And at that particular time, we, we came to the conclusion that why should these things have to compete against each other? And, um, you know, they, they also said, hey, we want office space on the second floor rather than residential units. And um, one great thing that uh, was created was an opportunity to connect with the residents. And uh, the city of Minneapolis allowed the residents to make a vote on uh, one out of seven developers uh, in, in which we were able to not only gain the support from the community, but we also had the opportunity to get the staff support, which led us to uh, gaining access to uh, developments, uh, development rights for this project. Um, I uh, was doing some community engagement work specifically around youth violence and uh, a guy, a guy, an artist by the name of Stevie Wonder was in town and we were sitting around a table having a conversation about what everybody was up to. And I shared my story about uh, Baldwin Square and we talked about creating a, a sacred safe space to not only embrace your differences, but also to have a safe place to talk about race, class, gender, sex, politics, and, and doing it in a manner where there was a, a, a level of respect. Um, the environment that I see moving forward in this development is an opportunity to have exposure that you may not have access to. So whether it's uh, hearing the music in the genre of Yo-Yo uh, Ma or uh, listening to uh, you know, another uh, notable artist or potentially somebody that you may have never heard. Uh, but to have the diversity of music that allows you to say, wow, that was that was pretty unique. Um, also to entice and, and, and touch the senses uh, by feeding your mind, body and soul. And so as I started coming up with all of these different characteristics of what we were doing, there was a guy from D.C. and he said, wow, it sounds like a, 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 a restaurant that's based out of And I want a connection with this product owner. Would you be willing to uh, uh, connect with this individual? And I said, by all means. And, and, and in fact, I, I will reach out to this individual uh, seven days from the point of contact. In fact, that was a Saturday and I was in DC meeting with this individual that following Saturday, making and connecting the dots. One of the things that we're going to do with the office space on the second floor is create an environment for uh, young and new entrepreneurs. And so we'll have an environment for co-working space where we'll have a shared receptionist. We'll have printing services on site, not only meeting the needs of the businesses, but also uh, some permanent uh, uh, office space for businesses that have been in in uh, in the community for five to ten years that are looking for private space within that same kind of environment, shared with a on-site bookkeeper as well as legal support 
to begin pushing and inspiring future entrepreneurs to go above and beyond where they currently exist and meeting their needs within the community so that we can have many more Baldwin squares throughout our community. Uh, I'm very proud of you. You mentioned, well, first of all, I'm not going to just let you throw out uh, something like you was having dinner with an artist named Stevie Wonder and not let our audience know that it was the Stevie Wonder, uh, the great musician, songwriter, genius, uh, whatever. And uh, what a lot of people don't know, he comes here and he uh, sings at New Salem, I don't know, maybe once or twice a year or so. And so it is the Stevie Wonder. So I, I'm glad to hear that. Now, you mentioned uh, entrepreneurship. A uh, couple of things. Uh, what were some of the major uh, obstacles or challenges uh, that you had starting up your business? And what? Uh, how did you overcome them? What type of qualities do an entrepreneur have to have? Because, I mean, it's tough out there and it's not a nine to five job. Uh, you're on your own. And we'll talk about this. Hopefully I have time to talk about this. Is That's one of the reasons. I don't like the way businesses are being treated here in Minneapolis. I mean, if people uh, knew what it took to uh, start up a business and, and what, and there's a reason that most of them fail in startup. Uh, and then to see our government and our policies basically just throw their nose, uh, turn their nose and away from business. Uh, and also just another side, the Star Tribune published its voters guide I don't know, last Friday, and it went through and had a whole lot of issues, and it, including climate change, and I don't know what that has to do with city election. But one thing that they did not bring up, and it's just a pet peeve of mine, uh, rebuilding these businesses and creating jobs and things like that. But anyway, long way of coming back to asking you to talk about some of the challenges uh, that you faced in starting up your business and how did you overcome them and what, what it does it take to make it through the tough times when you're trying to get things off the ground? Well, you know, um, I pay homage to my grandfather going back to uh, Bachelor, Louisiana, you know, dealing with uh, individuals that didn't have an option of giving in or giving up. That's a good way of putting it. Sharecroppers, mm -hmm. working together within the community, understanding that if I don't necessarily have the tools or the resources, or maybe I don't have that tractor that my neighbor has, but what if we came together and really began to understand not only the, the value that we bring to the table as entrepreneurs, but what if we came to the light and saying, hey, Brother Johnson, how can we work together? And so when I started off, I've always tried to uh, not necessarily compete with the status quo or the other professionals within this field, but I've always tried to stay in my lane and, and, and redefining what it really means to go beyond the bricks and mortar and, and not only making uh, sure that we are meeting the needs through the architecture practice ex is itself, but how do we begin to uh, go above and beyond the call of duty? 
And sometimes that call of duty is sharing your network, providing opportunities to individuals that may not know or know how to navigate the, the, the process. And so a lot of times I'm finding myself informing, engaging, uh, sharing my network, which is my net worth. And the reason why I say that's my net worth is because I'm not controlled by what comes out in, a, in, in regards to a publication of public work. One of the big things that I found starting off was a lot of these public bids, it takes a lot of time. And at the time when I first started out, I didn't have a marketing department. I didn't have the ability to spend the, the, the vigorous hours chasing work. But one thing that I did know, and, and one of the big things that we wanted to have an impact around was seeing the opportunities within our community. And what did that mean? That meant showing individuals or businesses that may not even see the, the creativity or the opportunities for themselves as entrepreneurs or business owners or property owners, but to share and, and, and act as an interpreter. I really believe that in the field of architecture, it's, it's very important that we are able to not only listen to our clients, but the ability to interpret their visions and to bring it to reality. And so when we come to the table, I'm not just saying, yeah, we need to uh, make this a beautiful project, but through all of my projects and the clients that I work with is making sure that we set the bar, which is excellence. And that anything less or short of excellence defines not only where I am, but where I am within my community. And, and the reason why excellence is very important and near and dear to me as a property and a business owner is we have to inspire, we have to uh, demonstrate the opportunities within this community, more specifically around North Minneapolis. But I've also had the opportunity of working in many different cities throughout this country as well as outside of the borders of, of United States. And, and I've never tried to boast or show a lot of glare on my website. In fact, I'm going through a strategic plan now to uh, begin seeing how um, I take this, this uh, situation of Fear. And I think the fear factor of being a business owner is exposure. And sometimes, even when you're starting out, you, you don't want to be exposed. You don't want to go through the situation where I did, where I was laid off. I don't want to have to lay off another employee and put them in a situation where I was. But going through all of that, and going through an MD, uh, 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 MBA program uh, with Mita, I, I had the ability to have a better understanding of future growth. And I knew at, this, at, at that particular juncture that in order for me to grow, I had to begin to look at going beyond myself and, and, and allowing myself to delegate 
and invest in others. And so as I'm going through a transition, uh, not only for myself as an individual, but I need to uh, put the responsibility around others that are working within my firm and, and growing a base. And so right now uh, we have an intern, a young black brother that's uh, very talented and, um, and just having the ability to help him navigate uh, spaces and places where I've been. I'll quickly just share with you six P's that we sort of focus around. And I won't go into the details, but it starts with the, with the game plan. The, the first P is having a plan. And with that plan, you have to be prepared. So it's no different than going off and trying to find a good job. You gotta have that resume and the necessary tools to sort of get yourself into that interview, right? The third P is persistence. I made it through the interview. I, I've, I've created an opportunity to sort of get to that next step, but what am I going to do to win them over and get to the actual uh, point of being able to perform? That fourth, fourth P is perform. And the reason why I bring up performance and the ability to perform is all of those interviews, that resume, that doesn't mean anything if you can't show up and produce, right? And so the fourth P, which is uh, perform, if you do everything within your ability and hopefully give a little bit extra, you should be able to get paid for your services. And one of the things that I've done with my business has been able to give above and beyond the call of duty, going above and beyond the scope of work. And by doing that, hopefully I am paid and compensated in a, in a rewarding manner where it not only is sustainable for my business model, but hopefully I can be able to hire other individuals and bring them up through the ranks. And finally, you know, when we talk about getting paid, you know, there's no such thing as just having accolades on the wall. There's no such thing as having a race car in the garage or living on the house on the hill when you can't share it with anybody. You can't share that experience of racing your friend uh, on, a, on a speedway. Uh, having people join and come to your home and embrace you and have that family time that's needed. And so the sixth and final P is your ability to pay it forward. What good are you if you can't share life's experiences in, in your uh, life's reflections with the next person? And how do we grow as a community? We grow by providing opportunities for the next young man that was just like Jamil in, in, in kindergarten or that sixth, sixth grade classroom that is looking for hope, looking for direction, and looking for an opportunity to be great from within and not somebody that's been sitting on the sideline with no understanding of who they are or whose they are. Hey, I love it. Uh, and I'm assuming, even though you didn't get a number to it, the fifth P is paid, right? Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. we've got plan, we got preparation, we got persistence, we got perform, we got paid, and we got pay it forward. Yes, sir. I love that. In fact, uh, that wraps up our show. I mean, that's that's what I want to hear coming from 
a young, successful man like yourself, a family man, a man of God. And the other thing that you mentioned, and I don't know why people don't get it. Or, I don't know. Some, look, uh, you mentioned your grandfather. And uh, I try to express to people the importance of just your family, man. Just having, and, and, and to me, it really is, as a male, as a man, it's on our shoulders to lead and support, provide for our families. And where I'm going is that I have a similar type of story. My great-grandfather uh, was a businessman. I never known him own job. He owned the land in Natchez in Arkansas. And once again, and, and this is where we are blessed, I guess, because there are a lot of people growing up where they're growing up. They don't have those role models. They don't know it's possible. Uh, they haven't like we have worked around a diverse group of people, even white people that they might think uh, everybody's telling them a bunch of rednecks and, and, and races and bigots and things. And they don't understand that the complexity of the situation is so simplified. So I really like hearing your background, your family, the importance of your grandfather. We need to get back to that. And I'm at the point where I'm pretty clear. I hear all these band-aids they putting on all these issues out there and gun violence and, 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 and drugs. And boy, until we get back to our roots where we men are being men and we are supporting our own children and we're respecting the mothers of, and loving the mothers of our children. I believe in what uh, Coach uh, Wooden said, the best thing a man can do for his children is love their mother. And we've gotten away from that. And till we get back to that, we can march all we want about social justice and all this other stuff, which I'm not trying to downplay it, but everything that you mentioned here is within your own control. And Absolutely. they are the key. And I'm trying to get people to focus on that. Uh, we're about to wrap it up. And I love this. And we're going to have a part two. And you and I see, we'll, we'll talk some more anyway, because we talk uh, a lot also. A couple of quick things before we go. I know you and I, uh, there's this current movement to defund the police and uh, do a, a lot of other kind of crazy things. They are letting out. We got the Minnesota Freedom Fund and all these, uh, look, Black Lives Matter bringing all, raising all kinds of money off of the George Floyd situation. We are not seeing any in our communities. Not only are we not seeing it, uh, they are creating negative results in our community. You and I know a lot of these uh, victims of this gun violence. And you and I know that some of these people that they are bailing out, Minnesota Freedom Funds and, and uh, organizations like that are bailing out, are uh, 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 wreaking havoc in our community. Uh, first of all, uh, you know some of the uh, people that's been murdered uh, recently as a result of this crime. How does that how do you feel about this current situation, police defunding and just all the violence and lawlessness uh, that you're seeing just as, well, first of all, as a human being, and secondly, as a citizen of Minneapolis who we're seeing just going down the hill. So what's your uh, general take on what's going on here? And, and by the way, having said that, I think the 12-year-old that was murdered recently was over in, towards your way, and you know the community that we stay in is it's pretty safe, it used to be at least, in pretty quiet communities. So just give me a, a, a general reaction on what you're seeing uh, happening in the in our city, in the streets of our cities. You know, um, 
our community is in disarray uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, I support our police department. I don't believe you resolve the situations by doing away with the police department. Uh, I believe you reform from within and not on the opposite end. Uh, we need a police chief that can not only be fully supported by policy, uh, decision makers, whether it's our city council or mayor, but we need a police chief, a black police chief that also has the necessary resources, the financial means to put the responsible police officers within our community. I personally have uh, witnessed and seen the ravage uh, craziness of gun violence firsthand within my family, uh, within my community, uh, even coming out of the George Floyd unrest, I've stayed uh, with, with the members of my church, the black men in our community uh, for eight nights straight, protecting valuable resources from within. Why? Because it's our responsibility. We cannot wait and hope for the National Guard or others to take on the responsibility of fathers within our community. I can, I can attest that when, when we had curfew, we were on the streets holding down our businesses. We did not see the young teenage boys that are out in the streets shooting and murdering uh, families and, 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 and uh, individuals that, that, that are innocent, our youth, uh, close to six deaths and, 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 and very violent incidents where people are still in the ICU uh, rehabilitation stages. And so long story short, the way I see uh, us coming out of all of this rage and craziness is number one, we have to support our police department, uh, not only financially, but we need the leadership of our, our current police chief to have not only the authority, but the direction to put the resources in the hands of police officers that can that can pick up the phone and, and, and meet us where we are at. Most of these individuals that are from Black Lives Matter or other places, they're not the ones in the community making those 911 telephone calls in need. They're not the ones showing up to the community vigils when Mookie's shooting Dante. We are the ones on the ground seeing this stuff firsthand. The mental health and the physical damage that's taking place is tremendous. Uh, not only am I talking to my, my children, but, but we're in a crazy space where if we don't do things within and from our community, aligning with the police department, aligning with the, the religious uh, community uh, from within, we are in danger. And so I fully support the 21 days of peace and we are showing and demonstrating not only how we can approach these young men in our community, but also coming to them with resources whether that means helping them get their driver's license, helping them get some of these various barriers out of the way so that they too can be contributors back to society. 
And one of the biggest and most important things is getting them jobs where they can be influencers within their families and, and supporting their children more so than anything. I think lastly, the individuals that had direct access to murdering even my nephew, one of the big things that I saw out of two out of the six suspects, which were minors, they didn't have family presence at their pretrial. They didn't have a mother or father at their pretrial. One of the individuals had a grandmother, but once again, where are those father figures? Where are those parents that are influencing them in making vital decisions that's going to have an impact in their lives? When we focus on those families, we can begin to see the broader community as, as a large. That's an excellent uh, uh, response to start wrapping things up. I'm going to remind people of the P's, the planning, the preparation, the persistence, the performance, getting paid and paying it forward. I think that is excellent. Uh, here's the thing, young man. Uh, I'm here today uh, standing on the shoulders of the men uh, in the generation before me. Uh, I saw the men uh, that raised me put their lives on the line uh, for me to have opportunities. And I tell people now, hopefully, I can do something with my life to have the generation like yours uh, provide some shoulders for them to stand on. Uh, I think the civil rights movement uh, allowed me the opportunities once again for education and see life differently. But I think right now we're in the age, in the way I look at it, of financial rights and political rights, financial justice and political justice. Uh, because in a lot of cases, for instance, our votes determine elections. It's yes. probably the most valuable votes. But what are we getting in return for it? And I don't think we've thought about that from a strategic uh, kind of perspective. We get caught up in a lot of emotional and we we forget to be strategic about our politics. And so that's what I'm out here doing now. I tell people also getting into business and entrepreneurship, it is tough. And it's easy to uh, look inward and be selfish and just look at your own money in the bank and, and instead of investing, let's say, $30,000 into a young startup company in the neighborhood you could easily go out and buy your new car but yes. uh, a, 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 a bigger house but my sacrifice is I'm here to try to uh, provide vision for the next generation uh, to know to take part in our economic system and to be an example for a young man like yourself and you got the best example in the world in your dad and I know him very well uh, but once again, audience, uh, we can't overstate the, enough the importance of family and yes. the importance of men being men and taking care of their community, looking out for their wives and their moms and their uh, women and their children and their elderly. And to be honest with you, I get impatient with people talking about anything else besides what we are supposed to be doing and what we need to do. So I really appreciate this. Uh, hey, I'm going to let you 
uh, end this show uh, with a positive message to our audience. You can tell them uh, if they want to be an architect or an entrepreneur, what they need to do, uh, whatever positive message that you have, because you have demonstrated that you have quite a few of them. So, uh, Mr. Jamil Ford, uh, leave our audience with a positive message. And in the meantime, thank you for being our guest. So leave us with a positive message. Thanks a lot, Mr. Johnson. You know, I would just like to leave you all with uh, creating an opportunity of investing in small local black businesses in our community. What does that mean? That means how do we begin to not only promote black business, but also uh, creating opportunities for entrepreneurship. In some cases, it may not necessarily mean post-secondary education for some of our, our, our youth. In some cases, it means uh, building up the necessary training so that they can look at uh, skilled, skilled labor and many other things. Uh, but also uh, going above and beyond that, you want to really begin to start seeing yourself uh, contributing and, and being a vital part of community restoration rather than uh, looking at destruction. Uh, the, the, the many uh, answers that you're looking for is right here within our black businesses. I've never asked for a handout but I've always asked for an opportunity for uh, creating uh, an environment for me to compete. Um, in addition to that, I would just lastly like to say that I, Jamil Ford, as I represent my firm, as well as the development company, I am looking to exceed all of the opportunities and expectations that you may have in regards to architecture, or furthering opportunities around economic development, specifically within our community. And so thank you for your time, Mr. Johnson. I am, I am here, I am uh, a living example of not only what I want to see within the community, but I am here beating the, the drum and making sure that uh, it's individuals like ourselves that are staying and residing in the community so that our youth can begin to look up to us as the future uh, 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 entrepreneurs and educators uh, that's needed here from within. Keep up the good work, young man. Stay positive and keep being a great role model. Thanks you very much, Jamil. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks good a night. lot. Hey, hey, say hi to Keisha for me, your wife Keisha, yes. okay? Yeah, All right. Absolutely. Okay. I would definitely okay. do that. Thank you. Okay. All right. Appreciate Bye -bye. it. Bye-bye.